Welcome to Women in Venture Capital, a podcast by students for students. I'm Roshvina. And I'm Anvita. And we are from the Harvard Business School. Today, we're joined by Buki Adibo, who's a rising EC at Harvard Business School. She's working in the early stage investing space with Rebel One Ventures, managing sourcing, diligence, and portfolio support. Before HBS, she was a brand strategist and social impact consultant at Ogilvy Consulting. Prior to that, Buki was a consultant in Deloitte's strategy and operations practice, and her work focused on growth strategy within retail and consumer products. Buki is passionate about driving economic empowerment, particularly for marginalized communities, and she's using her time at HBS to explore the intersection of technology and social impact through the venture capital and entrepreneurship space. Welcome to the show, Buki. Thanks for making the time. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you guys. So jumping right in, after two years at Deloitte, what was your motivation to switch gears into the social impact sector? And how did you narrow down to social impact consulting at Ogilvy? So Ogilvy's focus is brand strategy consulting. So I more narrowed it down to brand. Um, And then when I was at Ogilvy for a while, I kind of got into social impacts just through time and and brute force, I guess. Um, so my when I was at Deloitte, a lot of the work that I was doing, while it wasn't directly focused on brand, it touched on brands a little bit, right? So I did growth strategy projects, helping retailers enter new markets. And a big part of what you ask yourself when you're taking a, a an existing US-based company into a new market is whether or not the brand will resonate, right? Will, will consumers gravitate towards your product? Will they be excited about what you're doing? So there were a lot of questions related to brand um, and that space really piqued my interest. So my transition Ogilvy was more about getting exposure to brand, um, and I thought that that's where that's where I wanted to be long term. While I was at Ogilvy, I had a couple of projects where we would start off working with the client, helping them, you know, define their overall brand, you know, helping them understand who they are as a company, what they stand for, what they don't stand for, and that often led into work related to social impact. So we helped them build the foundation of their brand, and then the next question is, okay, we make all these claims about what we believe in and what we want to fight for as a business. How do we actually back that up? And helping them actually put some some real credibility behind those claims, that's where the social impact work came into play. So I, I helped some of my clients take it just from words on a piece of paper into action that was tangible um, so that when consumers looked at them, they, would, they actually believed the things that they claimed. So that's kind of how I landed myself in social impacts. Once I got there, I realized I loved it. Um, I worked a, a lot of a lot of my time at Ogilvy. I was working with the food and agriculture in the food and agriculture space, which was pretty random. But um, I learned a lot about food insecurity and the lack of sustainability involved in our food system, and that's that's really was the motivating force for me getting involved in that space. And I just, you know, I, there wasn't really an official process. I just pushed for more work in that space. I don't think I really had a lot of competition at the time. And so as those projects came up, I was just able to get a little bit more experience. Very interesting sector to have an interest in for sure. Can you talk a little bit about your time at school and the transition to venture investing from consulting. How did you decide on shifting industries? And more importantly, how was the recruiting process? Yeah, my decision process wasn't really linear. Mine never are. Um, I I don't know that I just had a moment where I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going into venture. Um, honestly, when I applied to HBS, I didn't really know what venture capital was. Um, I'd heard the term, but I didn't really know what venture capitalists did. After I applied, I'd gotten in, was excited. I remember having this like moment of anxiety during my interview because there was one point where you know I talked about the spaces that I cared about. I'm really passionate about economic empowerment, financial inclusion. I talk a lot about food, so I'm having this conversation with my interviewer, and she was like, "Okay, so like, you seem like a passionate person. You seem like you know the spaces you want to be in. What's the job? Like, what's the dream job?" And 
I didn't know, I didn't know the answer to that question. I said something during the interview. I managed to get through it, but like I didn't actually know the answer to the question at that time. So after I after I got in, I started thinking more critically about the career piece. Okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to HBS to get on a new career path. I need to figure out what that career path is. And I think that process of doing research and looking into spaces, looking into opportunities, that's the first time I came across VC um, and impact investing in general. And I started to think about that as a potential as a potential path for me. Then we did these career quizzes before school and VC was the highest one on my list. I'm not saying that that should be the way anyone makes their decision, but it was just another kind of reminder of a space that I had lightly thought about. So it put it back into the forefront. Um, so then when I got to, to campus, I started looking a little bit more into to opportunities in that space. So that's kind of my like uneven decision-making process. And I think the thing that really landed me in VC was actually working on a startup. So I um, joined the iLab and I was part of an accelerator through the iLab and through the Acumen Fund, working on a financial inclusion um, startup. And, you know, we were also paired with a bunch of other people working in similar spaces. So that was my first time really talking to a number of different founders, understanding the motivations for, for the work that they're doing, understanding their path and like that process of talking to a bunch of different founders and, and whether they like it or not, kind of mentally evaluating their businesses. That's what made me think, okay, I, I should test out VC as an option. Um, and then came recruiting, which was, which was difficult. Um, I, you know, my previous experience with recruiting was in consulting. Consulting has a very clear path. There's very clear timelines. You know, when you're interviewing, you know, when the decisions come out, like that gave me a sense of security. Venture is not like that at all. Um, it's all over the place. It's very relationship oriented. It's very network based. Um, and that was that was a lot harder for me. I'm not necessarily the best at networking. Um, so forcing myself to put myself out there and to reach out to people who I didn't know was difficult. Um, and Unfortunately, even being at HBS, I don't think my response rate was great when I reached out to people because I was still kind of an outsider, right? Like I was somebody who didn't have experience in any of the spaces that people typically want to feed into venture. I think I think consulting is definitely a solid background, but people are usually looking for investing experience or someone who's been an operator. Um, and I was neither. So I think proving to people that I had something to say in this space was definitely was definitely the hardest the hardest part of the recruiting process. I leaned very heavily into the into the on campus clubs. Um, and I think the on campus clubs were a big part of helping me build my network. So I particularly ASU. Um, so I'm really involved in the African American Student Union, and I helped to plan the conference last year, and I planned the VC panel. And a big part of why I planned the VC panel is to get myself more exposure to the space. So that's a big part of how I built my network, how I made some some connections. And a lot of the people who were on my panels, they ended up connecting me to other people in the space, and it kind of built, it snowballed from there. But I think just finding a way to get a foothold in the industry where people are willing to talk to you, and where people know your name, I think that's the biggest thing that you can do. Um, and then just to like be persistent. Um, I can't even think about how, I, I don't even know how many jobs I applied to or how many people I reached out to. Um, and then COVID hit and messed up a bunch of the plans I had in place. Um, so I think a lot of it was just being persistent and continuing to knock down um, knock down doors and then feeling confident reaching out to people. Um, even if you, because sometimes there's this like feeling that you have nothing to offer, just pushing past that and being like, I have something to offer I'm worth talking to and being consistent as you reach out to people. For someone who has entered the VC industry without prior experience or knowledge, the tips and resources at HBS that you mentioned are definitely helpful to all aspirants. Thanks for calling those out. So Bookie, you're also the co-founder of a venture that is solving for financial inclusion. Can you share your journey of starting this off? What was the inspiration behind the same and how has been your journey so far? 
Um, so it was honestly pretty random. One of my friends in my section, she reached out, she reached out to me because she wanted to enter this acumen competition. So acumen does this innovation challenge every year for students. And she was like, Hey, if anyone's interested in doing this acumen innovation challenge, please, you know, like this Slack message and I'll create a group for us. And so it ended up being a few of us who also that we were interested in it. Um, we start talking, we didn't have a clear plan at first. In fact, you know, acumen the Acumen Fund covers a breadth of different social issues. So anything from sustainable food to, you know, financial inclusion to healthcare. So it's pretty broad. Um, and we had the option to pursue any of those paths. We all kind of coalesced around financial inclusion. We're like, okay, we want to do something related to financial inclusion. Um, and our first thought was actually home ownership. We were thinking about how do we make it easy for people to own homes? Because we know that that's a big component of, of people's net worth in the U.S. So that was actually the path we were marching down. And as we started to think through home ownership and some of the barriers that people are facing, we thought it might make a little bit more sense to focus on one distinct component versus trying to like do the entire thing at once. And that component was credit because, um, you know, not having access to credit is a big is a big limiter to people's ability to, to build wealth in the U.S. And so that's how we decided on that path. That's how we decided on, Li um, on Liza's focus being on credit building. And we, you know, we spent a lot of time doing research, talking to potential customers, talking to community organizations that already do this type of work that help people get access to credit. Um, and we're saying, okay, what are some digital solutions that we could bring into the space to make it a little bit more effective and a little bit more friendly to the people who are, are looking to build their credit? Um, so that's how we came up with the idea. Um, and then in terms of the process of building it out, um, I mean, I hear about people who are solo founders. I don't even, I don't know how that's possible. I'm working with two of my section mates and that's made all of the difference. Um, and having two other people who are able to, you know, you have people to bounce ideas off of, um, and then people to kind of push you to be a little bit more diligent about things. And then we've been leaning really, really heavily on the, the HBS network. So whether that's talking to professors or talking to, um, alums or students who have founded businesses in similar spaces, we've been trying our best to, to make sure we're getting feedback from as many people along the way. Um, and thankfully, the the pro the program that we were in with the with the Acumen Fund and the Rockefeller Foundation got us some seed funding, so we're able to to launch a pilot this fall using the funding that we got from from Acumen, and then we also applied for another grant um, through the iLab on campus, and we got funding from that too. So again, tapping very very heavily into the on campus resources because I think just left to our own, left left to our own devices, we don't necessarily have the money or the access to start something like this ourselves. Um, and I think that's the benefit of doing something like this in the in the HBS environment. Between figuring out um, what you want career-wise and founding your own company, it sounds like you've had a very um, eventful first year at HBS. Being an operator as well as an investor now, are you seeing any focused efforts for having mixed gender portfolios at venture funds? What do you think can be ways of ensuring a better representation of mixed gender in financing as well as um, founding? the first step is just for people to think about it more. Um, I think lately, you know, the lack of the lack of black founders um, in portfolios and lack of black founders getting access to financing has been top of mind because of everything that's going on in the U.S. Um, and I think that the, the level of attention that's been placed on that will hopefully change the story in the future. But I think a lot of the times people just gloss over the lack of diversity in their portfolios. It's not something that people think of very consistently. Um, and so I think one of the first steps is just be conscious of the fact that that's a gap. And be conscious of the fact that you oftentimes just gravitate towards people who look like you, right? Like you gravitate towards people who feel familiar, who look familiar. Um, and if you don't consciously take steps to overcome that, then you're going to be stuck with a portfolio that is completely lacking in diversity. So the first step is be aware. I think it's also important to broaden your horizons in terms of where you source. 
I was talking to a friend um, a few weeks ago who also works in venture and her boss was talking about the fact, and you know, this is with all the Black Lives Matter stuff going on. He was like, yeah, I never spoke to founders who reached out to me cold because in my mind, in his mind, it was like, if you can't find someone who knows me, then are you really on top of it? Are you really that well connected? And he didn't think it was worth looking into. I'm like, that's crazy, right? You're cutting yourself off from everyone who isn't somehow already in your network. That's so limiting. How many how many people can one can one individual know, right? So I think that idea of saying it's okay for me to look at a deal or to look at a founder that doesn't come from my traditional sources, I think that's really, really important. Um, and then intentionally going to places where you know there are more diverse founders. There are there are organizations, there are programs that are designed to support black women, Latinx, LGBTQ founders, like those exist. Um, and if you don't take the steps to actually reach out to those organizations and partner with them actively, you're not going to reap the benefits of that. So I think it's being conscious of it, broadening your horizons, and then intentionally going to the places where you know those founders exist. And then when you're speaking to founders, be conscious of your own bias, right? Like even when a woman founder gets to the table, I think a lot of times there are certain biases that she's up against. So I think if you are conscious of the fact that you're, you, you know, you might be <laughs> dealing with some of those biases yourself versus thinking that you're above them, um, I think you have a, a greater chance of sifting through it and being more objective when you evaluate deals. Um, I think it, I think a big part of, of, you know, overcoming the gender divide is just recognizing that we all have those biases, right? Like, that moment when you think you're above it, that moment when you think you're so evolved and so feminist and so pro-woman that you could never slip into that into that trap, that's when you start to slip into that trap. That that humility and that awareness is such a big part of overcoming the issue. Yeah, that's very well put, Bookie, that it's both implicit as well as explicit set of biases that exist and we need to kind of work, work on both. So uh, very well put. So Bookie, you're one of those speakers on our session today who has transitioned into VC with no experience prior either in investment banking or venture investing. So what advice would you give to women who are looking to enter into the VC industry, into the venture capital industry? What, according to you, should be the key decision-making criteria for them to decide on the shift? I'll start with the decision-making criteria first, and then I'll do the advice. So the one of the best pieces of advice is actually from a woman who works in venture, but this was, this was um, at one of the early HBS career events that I went to. So this is like, I don't know, two months into my, my first year at HBS. Um, this woman was like, make sure you'll actually like the job. Right. Like we spend a lot of time thinking about like what spaces are prestigious, what what spaces make sense coming out of HBS, what spaces like deal with the issues I care about. Like right now, there's so much going on in venture. You're like, wow, people are focusing more on women, more on people of color. There might be this part of you that's like, I want to go like close gaps in equity. Well, yeah, but like, will you like the job? Right. Like there's this I think sometimes we we put so many things in front of whether or not we could we will actually enjoy the day job. And for venture. Do you think you're going to enjoy talking to founder after founder after founder, right? Like having that constant, constant communication with people, being able to dive into their businesses, learn about their passions, kind of understand it, give it some level of respect, right? So like one, do you think you're, you're going to like that process? Do you think you're going to like the process of evaluating things? Because in venture, we say no more than we say yes, right? Will you like that process going through, thinking critically, making a decision? And then due diligence. Do you like digging into the weeds of a business, you know, modeling out what you think the financials are going to be? Just think through each step of the process and determine whether or not you'll actually enjoy it. I think that's the most important decision-making criteria. Try really hard not not to think like about the super high level, like prestige and, you know, yes, impact matters, but you can make impact in a number of different spaces. So be careful with impact as well. Um, so that's the decision-making criteria piece. And then in terms of advice, um, the biggest piece of advice I would give is one, be relentless with your networking. Sorry, I know I've already said that, but I, I just, I think it's so important. Um, 
a lot of times getting an opportunity in venture is really based on timing, right? It's really based on timing and opportunity being available right when you're available. So if you're not top of mind, you won't get those opportunities. So it's not just about establishing contact with somebody. Make sure that you somehow stay top of mind, whether that's just checking with with them every once in a while so you know they know what's going on with you, sharing an, an interesting article, sharing an update on something that you talked about before. Just find a way to stay top of mind with the people that you're connected to. Um, and then have a point of view on something. Liking venture for the sake of liking venture usually isn't that effective in terms of getting a job, right? I think that works in a lot of other industries. Like you can say you're just so passionate about consulting and what consultants do. And that's enough, right? For venture, that's not enough for a lot of firms. Like they want you to actually have a point of view on a space. Um, and I don't mean to like super pigeonhole yourself into something that's crazy, crazy niche, but pick an industry that excites you and dig into that industry. Look at the major trends, look at the things that are happening, have a point of view on how you think the next few years are going to go. You don't have to be right, but taking that extra step to actually understand a sector and dive into it a little bit more deeply sets you apart from the rest of the candidates. And it, it shows that you care. It shows that you could actually be a great investor because you know how to seek out deals and you know how to stay on top of trends. So I think that that's probably the biggest thing. Um, once I found a space that I actually cared about and spent some time looking into that space, I found that my conversations with investors were so much more enjoyable um, because there was something for them to actually react to. There was something to dig into in a little bit more detail. And I actually got more excited about the space after that. This was amazing, Bukhi. Thanks for making the time. I think all your inputs, right, from the tips on how folks should be aware of the opportunities and also the aspect of relentless networking. I think these are some beautiful takeaways uh, from the session today. Thanks so much for joining us, Bukhi. It was a pleasure having you on. Thanks. It was great to connect. Thank you.